Well, hello everyone and welcome to the first of the Well Projects Leadership Exchange Live Biba Edition, a live video interview series featuring thought leaders on HIV and breast and chest feeding. BIBA stands for Building Equity, Ethics, and Education on Breastfeeding and HIV and is a comprehensive multi-tier project that expands upon the Well Project's existing efforts around breast and chest feeding in HIV and has received funding from Beeb Healthcare's Positive Action for Women's Initiative. Our first session features me, Sierra Cece Coven, Program Coordinator at Dwell Project, and Dr. Allison Agu, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine, and um, a John Hopkins, excuse me. We look forward to the discussion in this series to raise awareness, inspire action, and ensure that women living with HIV can experience their fundamental right to make informed, uncoerced infant feeding decisions. Please, y'all, make sure to leave questions and comments in the chat. Um, I just want to go ahead and make a little note now. I know that it's going to come up again later. But throughout Biba, in our programming, we refer to breastfeeding and breast and chest feeding. While our organization unapologetically focuses on women living with HIV across the gender spectrum, we strive to include trans men, non-binary individuals, and others living with HIV who wish to explore feeding a child from their body. We acknowledge that there are multiple terms to describe this process. And with that, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation because it's not often that you get to sit down and speak to a medical provider outside of the office about breastfeeding um, while living with HIV. So this is something I've really been looking forward to. Um, Dr. Egwu, would you like to say any more to your introduction? Um, so I think I, you know, I definitely wear a lot of hats and, you know, as a, you said, a professor of peds and adult infectious diseases, but the hats that I wear on a daily basis, I am the director of our, our program director for our pediatric adolescent HIV AIDS program. And in that capacity, I lead a team, a multidisciplinary team um, that takes care of individuals from zero to 25 or older, including many mama baby pairs. And, you know, in that capacity of have, have help to guide many women through breastfeeding for their infants. And so I think have that perspective and would love to bring that um, to the conversation. Yay, so then we'll <laughs> jump off with number one. Um, we know that you support women living with HIV to make informed decisions when it comes to how they feed their children. Can you tell us how you got there? As we know that it's not currently recommended under the US guidelines. Yeah. So I, I, I think I'm, I always say this and you're supposed to say, oh, really? So I'm, I'm not as old as I look. No, <laughs> just kidding. But um, no, I've been doing this for a long time. And I, you know, certainly have been part of guidance for a long time where we were very dogmatic about the idea of, of breastfeeding and, and for a reason, right? We, we, we know for without any antiviral treatment, or therapy, the risk of transmission is significantly high in the breastfeeding period. So in that, not just intrapartum, but um, postpartum with breastfeeding. And so the guidance for a very long time in the US specifically, and even to today has been no breastfeeding. Um, 
And I've been part of many conversations with women about that. And we are specifically, you write your consult and it says no breastfeeding in all in all caps. Um, and so definitely was a time that I was there and in and, and part of uh, round tables, et cetera. And I think if the question is how I got to where I am today, I think it is it is probably how many of us have gotten to where we are is, as things evolve and we see the, the amount of suppression that we can get with as regimens get better and it gets easier to do. And we get to U equals U and you get to the rest of the world, most of the world where breastfeeding is actually the preferred. And even here in the US, if you're not positive, you don't have certain conditions, we're promoting lots of breastfeeding and hearing the stories of women from other spaces and places asking about breastfeeding and saying, well, hmm, right? Hmm, let's rethink that and let's talk about that. Um, and hearing the stories for women and thinking through it further is how I got here, right? And, and and knowing what breastfeeding meant to me, personally, as a mom of two kids who breastfed too long, <laughs> almost four plus years for my second one, um, and saying, let, let's look at it again and think about how we can potentially do it differently. So that's how I evolved. Wow. So at any time, if you have questions back to me, you know, we can do this. We can exchange. I, um, that's a long time to breastfeed. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> um, can you talk about the part of the DHS DHHS guidelines that does not that does provide information on how providers can support a woman if she chooses to breastfeed, as well as some of the efforts that are underway to update the language used in the CDC guidelines? I know that's such an important thing here. So can you please just talk about that? Yeah, I sure can. I, you know, I alluded to the, to the Department of Health and Human Services guidelines, um, which pr primarily the perinatal guidelines, which talk about how to prevent transmission of HIV from 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 mom to from mom to baby. Um, and as I mentioned, the the guidance has really always been that breastfeeding not be recommended and not be done as first line. But probably about two years ago, based on some of the things that we talked about, data from other parts of the world, U equals U, uh, women asking questions and pushing providers, there became some softening of the guidelines. And I say softening, just more language that, that started to allude to, yes, we recommend formal of feeding as first lying in the U.S. However, if a woman chooses to breastfeed for whatever reason, and not being specific that she had to check A, B, or C, but if there was a choice uh, to breastfeed, and in the guidelines, chest feeding is not mentioned, so that's why I'm not saying breast or chest um, breastfeeding, that then it should be more supportive, right, in terms of trying to make sure that you support and provide guidance and what that team should look like. And not a lot of real specifics, but at least a softening of the language that we should not be ripping breasts from babies' mouths and, and saying there's only one way to do it. Um, that is a little in, in contrast to some of you alluding to the CDC guidance, which talks about you know formula feeding only and that HIV is among conditions like HTLV, HTLV and Ebola <laughs> where breastfeeding should not be allowed, right? So it's a big contrast. And so some looking at and thinking about how do we reconcile those two guidance to get to a point where we still say formula feeding is, is preferred and recommended, but to allow some of that and to make space for some of that softening to support women who may need be in the space to, to, to want to and need to breastfeed. Can I, can I hit you with one? Oh yes, I'm ready. So, um, 
you didn't say, but I, I, I know your experience of breastfeeding. And I, I wonder if you could talk about your own evolution from, you know, where you were to where you are in terms of breastfeeding. Okay, so I am a new mother of two. My daughter is almost three months and I have a son who is 10, almost 11. And I've been positive with both of those pregnancies. And in the first pregnancy, <laughs> breastfeeding was not even like in the equation. No one boarded up. I knew that because of my HIV status that I would not be able to. So it was never a question. Um, I went through extreme postpartum depression after birthing my son because, you know, my breasts were getting hard. I couldn't lay down. I just had this baby. He was in the NICU. I'm watching all of the milk just drain out in the shower. And I was just so sad. I felt like that child didn't need me. Anyone could care for him. Anyone could feed him. Anyone could, you know, take that baby and do what they wanted. Um... So that was really hard. I think that that is kind of what deterred me from wanting to have another child. It wasn't until the 2019 U.S. Conference on now HIV and AIDS where we sat down, the Well Project did a panel under U equals U's track. And I was on the panel along with a doctor and another, our executive director and another woman living with HIV who has breastfed. And it wasn't until that conversation that it ever like just made sense to me that breastfeeding could possibly be a thing. It was my placement in the world that was determining whether or not I was able to feed my child from my body. And that was so saddening. It's like if I was born in Africa or some parts of Africa, would I be able to, you know, give my child my breast milk? Is it just because I'm living, you know, on the East Coast of the United States that that is not a thing? So I surprisingly got pregnant at the beginning of this year and it was not planned and I kind of was waiting on guidelines to be changed so that I could, I knew that I had another option to feed my child other than formula. And when I got pregnant, I'm like, oh crap, <laughs> now I have to make a decision. Like now I have to really start thinking about this and knowing that my I kind of knew where my first doctor, who I had been with for some years, I knew where she stood when it came to HIV and breastfeeding. And she did not surprise me when I got there. So I immediately had to change who I was receiving care from because the criminalization was mentioned, but not mentioned. It was threatened a little bit. You know, if you choose to do this, then don't tell anybody. Because if you do tell somebody, then... Our pediatrician, she is known to call DHS on parents who decide to breastfeed while living with HIV. So that scared the mess out of me. And I finally did get hooked up with a team who supported my decision making. The whole nine months, I had no clue. I went back and forth because it's kind of scary. You know, and one day I was like, I'm all for it. Next day I was like, what if I'm the one? You know, and then it was like, I'm, I went back and forth. But just to have a team there who supported whatever decision I wanted to make. It just wasn't a hard stop at no. That is what I appreciated. And I have ultimately decided to breastfeed and we're about four negative HIV tests in and baby has had nothing but breast milk. And that's where we are now. So excited. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, I, I mentioned earlier when you talked about my own evolution 
and it's it's these stories you know I, I think you know I, I mentioned in our last cut round table where I, I remember being part of a discussion where a woman who had was a nurse and worked in Africa and had guided many positive women through breastfeeding and here she was in the states and she now wanted to breastfeed herself and you know it was her and her husband and the whole team of the OBs, the PEDS ID experts, and the ethicists and the lactation around and you know scrutinizing her, who had an undetectable viral load for years um, about her decision to breastfeed. And she was like, oh, I want to do what I can for my baby to give him the best leg up, and we can talk about breastfeeding. And I remember um, us being just so dogmatic and in the middle of this hour-long hammering of this woman her husband turned to her and said, yeah, why would you do this? She broke down crying. And I think about that. And I talk about being part of her trauma um, and not everyone to do that. You know, and I, I, I think about, you know, discussions with moms I had in, subsequently where I asked about what did it feel like to not breastfeed and to see the waterworks that happened and them talk about how they felt exactly like you felt. I didn't feel like I was I had purpose. I don't bond to that child as much. I don't, right? And you know, when you look at the data and, and you say that, you know, you look at data and we don't have a lot of US data, we're gonna hopefully contribute that with our report on our women who have breastfed, you know, in parts of the world where breastfeeding is is done and there have been trials that have been done, the, the rates at six months, it's less than one percent or less than two percent or in terms of transmission. Um and so we're not telling women they can't be pregnant if they're, they're HIV positive, right? We're not taking. So I think we have to, it pushed me to move and keep telling your story, you know, because then one of the questions is going to be, how do you talk to pediatricians, et cetera? And I think first to talk, you have to listen first. Oh, that's profound. I like that. I was, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, get, there is it cannot be explained the feeling of birthing a child and you know not hiv related the child was taken away from me um put in the NICU he was early so you know already feeling like you know i've birthed this child and given him right over and then you're telling me my body is toxic to my baby like you know oh my god my brain couldn't even wrap around it i was still very young i was either 23 22 and newly diagnosed within my first two years so to get all of that messaging at the beginning now 13 years later um after my diagnosis is such a hard thing for me to try to convince myself that i'm not toxic that's where a lot of my anxiety came mm -hmm. from and you know even thinking that i had an option where you know so long ago i had all of these providers telling me that no you can't do it to now somebody is like kind of shining a light on it and i'm so trusting you know my team of people around me to just support the decisions and the outcomes and i'm so grateful to have you know people like you that are in my realm of support because i can look to someone and say no it has been done mm -hmm. and it can be supported um, I'm so grateful. I want to ask, um, can you speak to the ways that being a pediatrician informs your perspective around HIV and breastfeeding? That seems to be where we run into the 
some issues is the pediatricians. Yeah. So I think I should start by saying I'm I'm both a, a, a med peds trained, so I'm an adult and a baby doctor. So I, I literally take care of the cradle and I try to prevent the grave. I mean, the whole spectrum, right? Um, and so as a pediatrician, you are, you're in there and your goal is to protect babies and kids so they can get to adulthood as healthy and amazing as they can be. And so to prevent smoking around the baby, to prevent anything that can actually create deleterious outcomes. And so you're going in real hard <laughs> to, to protect, right? Um, and you know, as a pediatrician, one of the things that you often are recommending is, you know, avoid smoking around your baby, be, take all your prenatal vitamins, and breastfeeding is one of the things that you 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 definitely recommend, right? And so there is this tension, I think, for as a pediatrician around, well, you you got into the pregnancy and the baby is negative. Why would you add this additional potential risk to the baby, right? So I think that that may be not might be that is the tension that a pediatrician may feel, and I think it's the and I hear that that in, in, in the discussions with pediatricians. And so it's important to flush that out and work through that with data and say, well, here's what the data actually says, right? We know that breastfeeding does, you know, higher IQs, less likely to have infections, no, you know, all those things. We can go through those, all those pieces, better growth, better, you know, all those things that we can list for the benefits of breastfeeding. And then you see on the risk of of transmission of HIV, and we're talking about moms, let's be clear, our recommendations are around not viremic, right? So not taking any meds, your viral loads, et cetera. We know that risk is higher. And so we want to be clear for everybody who's listening that we are, the recommendation as I and my team at practice and, and where, where it's recommended is where adherence is there, you have an undetectable viral load where we're trying to basically minimize any transmission, right? So I think that's to be important. And so when you look at the data and say, well, the risk is exceedingly low, I'm not going to say U equals U because there's questions about, well, where does the virus hide and could you be? So exceedingly low. So you have the benefits of all things with breastfeeding that we know happen and the risk of transmission is exceedingly low. Then you are actually looking out for the best for that baby, right? When we know HIV exposed babies have more inflammation, they have things that that they're not as quote unquote normal. And so why not give them that additional leg up? And I think that's where I come to the discussion is with listening first. I have to keep saying that, well, what are your concerns? Because if you can hear those concerns and I can go back, well, here's what that study actually said. And here's what that study actually says. And as we add more observational data, um, we can, you know, we can then say, well, a hundred in the UK, this many here, that many there, and this many million in the, in the developing world or resource limited settings, I think you can start to counter that. I'm going to jump in and share a little bit of my experience um, with this child in Missouri, who I'm able to breastfeed this time. And so I had everything prepared before I got to the hospital. My doctor, the OBGYN infectious disease pediatrician, they all wrote notes and put them in the chart. They let me know that before I got to the hospital, I had the whole plan. So while I'm in the hospital, they have sent like the neonatologist into the room. They have sent the pediatric, like the head pediatric um, doctor into the room. Everyone trying to kind of sway and let me know what the recommendations were. 
um, I've been preparing for this for nine months. So <laughs> I kind of knew what I was going to say to them when they got in there. And, you know, I just fed them with so many resources. And I was grateful in that experience to have people that listen. Um, clearly, you know, not just pulling this stuff out of thin air. There's clearly something going on outside of this hospital room that you may not, you know, be abreast on. But, you know, I have the support. And after that I didn't have any more issues once we were able to, you know, get in touch with all of my medical team. But the moment before I left the hospital, we went to do the birth control um, thing. And, you know, she's having me sign a waiver. And one of the last lines was that it was not 100% effective, but 99% effective. Per the lady's words, very effective. I was like, well, isn't that crazy how this 1% here, you know, it's we can still say very effective. But like the 1% over here is like this really, really big deal. And I always wonder how much that has to do with HIV stigma. Um, <laughs> because with my birth control, you're trying to tell me that 99% I'm okay. But, you know, looking at studies that have been done, you know, even though they are limited, that same 1% just, that is what made you tell me no, you know, <laughs> a couple months ago. So I just felt like that was very interesting and they had to agree that I had a point because I, but I was over it and I <laughs> ultimately, you know, ended up being able to make my own informed decision here and that's what I wanted and I'm so grateful. I wonder if you can add to, you know, just to, you mentioned earlier um, the criminalization piece of, of, of this. And I think that that really is important. I, you know, I think certainly I love that that 1% here is really, really great. And 1% here is, ah, you're the worst person. We should call CPS, right? And I, I think that we really, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, the, the stigma and the criminalization, we've got to move beyond that. I think women who are, are positive, who are looking to breastfeed, particularly, I mean, your circumstance, you've done your research, you know the risk and the limited risk that there is, you are actually not somebody anybody should ever be calling CBS about. And that's, to me, the reason why I want to push the verbiage a bit. I don't ever want any of the guidance or guidelines to be used to say, see, the guidelines say you absolutely shouldn't do this. And therefore we have a reason to refer this mom to CPS because she and her five years of undetectable viral load is choosing to, to, to put her baby at risk. And therefore that we need to take off the table and that I feel pretty strongly and adamantly about. So thank you for bringing that. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, what, what would you say to other pediatricians who may be reluctant to support a parent living with HIV who wants to breastfeed? Yeah. So, I, you know, I talked about um, sort of first listening to what their concerns were, because I think, again, some of this is is based on how we have taught pediatricians for 20, 30 years, right? So change is, is difficult, right? And so we we finally get to the point where we're, well, most places are trying to test moms in person third trimester. Yes, maybe check, we're doing that. We're finally getting where we're writing, you know, you, you can't do this. And now you're telling me to change. So first, making sure we understand what, what the issues are and the concerns are. And then I think if they're concerned, I don't want, I don't want somebody 
contributing to, to mom's trauma if they are absolutely against it. And every time she comes in, they're going to give her the side eye and whatever. You know what? Maybe it's not you. Maybe, maybe you're not meant to do this. And so let's figure out who is available that you can refer to. And so that mom can actually, that person can actually support, be supported in her decision to breastfeed and not, again, be traumatized or stigmatized. So I think it's knowing what the resources are that are available in addition to providing the data and the resources in terms of well has a wealth, well project has a wealth, well, wealth, <laughs> wealth of, re <laughs> of resources that are available. There's the British guidelines, the U.S. guidelines, perinatal guidelines. There's lots of resources to, to, to say, well, here are the questions and the answers to those things. Um, but then I think beyond that, it's, it's then if you're not comfortable, you can phone a friend. I'm happy to be that friend. But maybe it's to refer to a person in their team to help guide that that mom, that person through that process. Because it's such a vulnerable time, I think, because you already mentioned they're your own anxieties that you have and it is not helpful for you to come in. And every time you come in, someone's looking at you, oh, let me just take the breast out of the babies. You know, <laughs> we don't want to be doing that. And so, you know, again, it's it's supporting them and getting them their education. But while they're doing that, providing them a place where they can refer, et cetera, so that the, 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 the family can feel supported in their decision. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny for those who have to experience it, you know, having a breast snatched out of your mouth. But that's what it feels like at some point. And I was like, well, if I had chose or did not breastfeed, would I still have been put in that same hospital room? Because all of the messaging in the room was like, breast is best. This is how you latch. This is what a breastfed baby's diaper should look like. I would have been so traumatized had I been forced into not breastfeeding um, and had to sit through that because that was excruciating. So can I, can I, I, mean, I, have, I talk a lot, but one of the things that, you know, I, you, you know, you led with autonomy and one of the things we had this whole ethic, ethics round table when we were first considering how to um, start the process at Hopkins and, one of the things that one of the neonatologists, great, great guy, um, and he's come around in terms of the breastfeeding. And one of the things that he said, well, I guess we could let her breastfeed. And I was like, whew, triggered, triggered, triggered. It's not about letting, right? It's working with, with her and her team to support her in breastfeeding, right? Because what we don't want, and, and we're not speaking to it because it's not your situation here, but the reality is, and what pushed me, and I think the team at Hopkins and in many places, is that for some women, depending on what culture they come from, not breastfeeding is literally the mark on the head that there's something wrong with my milk or something I'm tainted in some way. And in many places that equals HIV. Not that HIV is a taint or anything like that. However, when women have not disclosed some to their own partners, that not breastfeeding can actually disclose and out them, which can mean potentially being outed from your social situation and support, which can mean violence and trauma to her and her child. So it actually can be a life-threatening thing for her not to. And if we're not in the space to support somebody in that, what we have is then underground feeding, right? I just made up that term, or people secretly breastfeeding because they can't do something else. And when we make ourselves and our approach so dogmatic that people feel like they can't tell us, and they're going to do it anyway. And in fact, they may retract from their care because now 
there's that desirability and I have to go in and lie every time. So how about I just not? Now you have a risk for mom, not a person not being on their meds, not being suppressed. You actually up the ante in terms of the risk of transmission. So which one is better? That is exactly what I thought when I was advised, you know, by the provider that, oh, just don't say anything. I'm not that type of patient. I'm not that type of person. I want to give you all of the information so that you can treat me appropriately. Like, I need to know, I need you to know everything that is going on because otherwise it's just, you know, you're not treating me. Um, so I thought that it would be very unrealistic and I felt like it would also be very dangerous for me to not say anything. Um, and so I'm so grateful that I was able to find a team that did support that. Um, let's see, I'm just going down our list of questions. What tools or resources do you rely upon when supporting a woman living with HIV's desire? desire to breastfeed, excuse me. So I think first it's important to, it's some of the same resources that I use to support women who are not positive to breastfeed. I think one, we have to stop making that huge dogmatic distinction, right? Breastfeeding is, while it's, we all, you know, we have things to give, to give the baby's milk. It doesn't necessarily come naturally. Our, sometimes our nipples are inverted. There's all kinds of this cracking, there's swollen armpits, there's all kinds of things. So just supporting and resources for just that, right? Um, the process, the lactation consultants, the La Leche Leagues and all the things are, you know, first and foremost. Then, you know, I, you know, certainly it is, the, the resource, like I said, the Well Project has resources. Um, the, the Biba Guidelines has we have resources. There's some nice fact sheets on how to just breastfeed. Then we've created some of our own in terms of what to do if this is going up. If you have mastitis, list of contacts of who to call, the bat phone of where to call, how to call. It's contacts, it's guidance, it's being available. Um, it is you know making sure people are seen regularly in in in, in support. Um, it's, it's really, it's those pieces. I think the primary piece is making sure people know how to take care of their breasts, support for adherence, because reality is you can be 100% adherent and be doing great. And then this little person screaming 24 hours a day, and all of a sudden you don't remember what time of day it is. So did you take your bed? Did you not? That could be that. So tools to help, you know, parents continue to be adherent um, and supporting them if there are resources they need because maybe they're not working and there's there's you know, now changes are happening. So what resources support the family, um, I think are all part of supporting somebody in continuing um, to be undetectable and in their, in, in their chest and breastfeeding. So I know that you've worked with parents who have breastfed while living with HIV. Is there anything specific that you would like to share about their experiences? Yeah. So I think um, I have worked and I have to give a, a big shout out to my nurse practitioner, Marianne Nakrasso, um, who just jumped right in. She has taken care of, she's been with, with our program for, for many years, feels like forever, um, and takes care of her many mama baby pairs, um, just, you know, women living with HIV who are, are younger than age 25 and some older and their babies. And, and she just jumped right in and has really guided all of these women through. And so um, the experiences have been one, I wanna make sure it's clear that it's it's not easy, right? So, uh, you know, and I'm speaking from the provider perspective, 
But we do ask regular check-ins. We do ask, we do, and we probably do a bit more conservative. We do regular blood draws and moms, like, you know, we want monthly viral loads. We want, you know, we want monthly viral loads on the, well, the baby actually, we, we don't do monthly viral loads on the baby. We do the regular testing and do, you know, every six to eight weeks or so. But moms, we, it's, it's get your viral load once a month or so. Um, we want to hear if there's any cracking of the breast. So it's, it's a lot of, we get to know the moms very well. They have our bad phones, they're, they're, they're messaging, they're calling. Um, we have a good connection with the OB team and the GYN team. So it really is, they have an extension, big family around them at all times. Some of it is um, providing stories. I talked about some of the moms not disclosing. Um, and so providing stories to help them be able to talk about, you know, how to, what, why they're giving these, the baby these medicines and how to cover up those medicines or whatever they need to do. Um, but it really is transparency. Here is the reality of my situation. I'm from whatever part of the world. My mother-in-law is going to come. I've got to hide this or that. And it's understanding and being transparent so we can help support. Um, the experience, I would say, from a pro provider perspective has been very rewarding um, to hear women, and it's been all women for us, say, this has been such a different experience with my first child, for example. I feel like this child actually sees me and I see them. I feel like my value has been upped. Um, I feel, you know, not depressed. I feel, I mean, it's been so wonderful to be part of the anti-trauma after saying I've been part of the trauma. Um, it has been anxious at times for us, right? So, you know, mom was late getting her viral load. She hasn't had one in two months. Oh no, is there something going on, right? Um, so I don't want to make it seem like, oh, it's smooth sailing. It is literally the team constantly thinking and making sure we're working with, with um, these parents. But it's been, I think, doubly rewarding to see these babies growing and doing well and to see the negative tests come back and say, yeah, we, 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 we did that. And I say we, the entire team, led by them all. Yes, it definitely takes a whole team. And I think that as it becomes more familiar mm -hmm. or, you know, things or continue to evolve, I think that maybe practices will be put in place along with procedures. But like in my situation now, I'm feeling like in my head, it made sense to get tested monthly mm -hmm. for my viral load. In the pediatrician's head, it made sense. But then now it's like, who's sending me to go get these viral loads done? Nobody's, I'm like, hey, like, I, I know yeah. we're caring about the baby now, you know, and that definitely is at the forefront of my mind. But you, I need to continue to be watched as well. At least it made sense in my mind. Yeah. Um, but we are doing monthly testing for me. And I was able to advocate that I get that done at the baby's doctor's office to make it a little, you know, less crazy and monthly testing for the baby as well. So I know that everyone has a different way. You know, you said mm -hmm. that y'all aren't doing it exactly the same way, but clearly it's working. So, um, so I, have a, I have a question for you. So I think in that same vein, so you're absolutely right. Um, we we did the same thing, right? So we we have a, a lab where mom can go and get her blood done when the baby is, is there, right? So why make her go someplace else? And so, but that, that takes coordination. I happen to take care of some of the moms on the adult side. So I just write the order and it, having that, that sort of smooth machinery. I was gonna ask you, cause you asked me, but I think from your perspective, what 
do you feel is optimally needed to be supported in this? Well, who's on your team? What resources did you need? What do you think is critical for you? So I can speak to this last pregnancy because I found so many things that worked extremely well. So once I left the first infectious disease doctor that did not support, I was able to, my first line of contact was another infectious disease doctor who she supported it. She referred me to an OBGYN who supported it. He came with a um, high-risk nurse and a social worker. After them, I got set up with the pediatrician, and this was months before the baby was even due. We started talking about a plan. She explained to me some of the treatments that were available or the treatment that was available and what we would do, you know, if I continued for a certain amount of time. So that is OBGYN, infectious disease, nurse, social worker. Then I was a high-risk pregnancy because my first was early, so outside of HIV. So I was getting, like, progesterone shots every week. That nurse that came once a week was such a big part of my support. I said, I don't know if they wrote it up this way or that they knew, but just having constant contact with someone weekly was so helpful um my family and friends around me they like I feel like if any of them had gone against what I desired then I maybe would have questioned myself a little bit more but I had the total support of them around me so I feel like you know as many people that you can get on your side or at least to you know to support you when you might not be feeling the best I've feel like that is the most beneficial thing that we can do for ourselves. And sometimes you you have to start early. You can't like, it would be extremely difficult to get to month eight or month nine and then start trying to scrounge together that support. Start as early as possible would be my greatest advice to a parent that wants to breastfeed. So I'll ask this, have you have you experienced any, any stigma for your decision to the chest of breast past the beginning i will say if i have if anyone is saying anything it hasn't been said to me i felt more stigma during the first pregnancy and not breastfeeding although i'm american i have a jamaican father and you know so many of his values <laughs> like what's wrong with you why you gotta get a baby to something you know like i felt more stigma there now it's just, and this makes me want to cry, like to sit around in the room and my family's there and my mom is like encouraging me and rooting me on and my dad's like, you know, the baby wants something to eat. So he's handing her back to me like that is so fulfilling and rewarding. Um, I think that a lot of the stigma that I experience with anything is the internal stigma. So I'm like, okay, what is, is today today? Darn it, I gave her her medicine late. Or darn it, I took my medicine late. Is this it? I'm constantly having to fill my mind with positive words and affirmations and referring back to other people I've seen in the community who have breastfed while living with HIV and not transmitted the virus. Like, just having to stay. I feel like I'm kind of like retracting back into a shell a little bit because I am really nervous. I am really scared some days. And it's like, dang, you know, I'm doing this in front of the world because I would like to inspire and help other people. But some days that gets really heavy as well because I don't know the future 
but my faith is so strong and I've seen it happen in so many other areas of my life that I think we can do this. So day by day with my support team, we are doing this. Wow. Thank you for acknowledging that. I think, you know, it's so important to acknowledge that part as well. Um, because we can, you know, be gung ho. I, I told you I had my own angst, like we're, we're doing it, you know, but you, you're like, okay, okay. Right. And you know that you're doing everything and you're even doing more and being conservative. And in fact, I would probably argue that moms are better, parents better at giving the babies their meds than they are at their own. Right. Um, you know, and then people ask, well, what about that potential little thing? You're like, I don't think that's a thing, but is it right? But I, so I think it's important to acknowledge that. But I, I, I also balance it with what we do know, right? And the fear of what may happen um, can prevent us from doing all kinds of things. And I don't want it to be that here. I think the risk is exceedingly low. I feel strongly about that. Um, and I'm glad you have a team that supports you in that. And I think it's important to, again, even acknowledge the angst of that and, and working through that. Um, and even at the, the end of the day, because I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say it, at the end of the day, if the 0 0.0 whatever percent we think it is happens, it would not mean that you did a bad thing. Oh, well, thank you. That really wants me to cry now. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Egu. Appreciate it because I do often wonder that and I think it was Portia who made the comment um, in a previous recording we did. She's a woman that was born with HIV and she was like, well, you know, if the child were to get HIV, then what is what's wrong with me? Like I was born with HIV. So you're saying that if a baby gets HIV, like is their worth their life not worth anything? And I'm like, no, that that couldn't be the case. And I would, I know that I would so beat myself up if a transmission were to happen. So I thank you for saying that I did not do anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. My baby is so happy. Like I look at her in the way that she like, <laughs> she trusts me so much and she just is able to make her way down to the, to the breast and latch and all of that. It just makes me feel so good. It makes, I feel complete in a sense. And I, that's my own personal experience. Cause I know that not everyone has the want desire to breastfeed. But for me, that is something that I felt like I was missing for so long. So being able to do that this time, like I felt on top of the world. Like you can't tell me nothing. Okay. And we got negative tests. And I know we're just going to continue to put that in the atmosphere, going to continue to get negative tests. Um, um, I, I just can't believe it. I'm still in awe and shock myself. So one of the quotes I say to my kids all the time is a goal without a plan is a wish. And so I'm going to say that again, a goal without a plan is a wish. And so if you had a goal to make sure your baby got you know, the colostrum and all the healthy antibodies and all the benefits. And that was your goal, but you had no plan on how to assure or do the best that you could do that, that she would be negative. Then it's a wish, right? Then you're, you're, you're putting that 15% transmission risk, or whatever, if you were taking no meds and just like, we'll see what happens. But that's not what this is, right? So your goal is to have all those benefits be, trans, be, be passed to her um, and to minimize the risk. And you have a plan to do that, a very elaborate and purposeful plan, right? Um, and so that's why I, I say that, because I, I hear the angst and I see it. 
And I just want to make sure that I say that um, for you and for others out there, um, that if you have a plan and it's very well specified and it's, it comes with knowledge and with science and with a team, then I, if the 0.0 whatever happens, then it, it happened. But it's not because of negligence or anything like that. And I think the likelihood that it would, is low to zero. Oh, that is so warming because you would expect for, or I would expect for a medical provider to be like, see, we told you, or see, this is, that is my experience. Um, <laughs> and you know, so many times feeling like the people wearing the white coats feel like they know best for you. So I would feel kind of in shame, ashamed to even go back. I feel like I would have to switch my entire medical provider team if something were to happen i would be that ashamed but that's a whole nother episode we're not going to go there what do you think the future holds for hiv and breastfeeding so i think the future is happening i mean i think you know i can look back even five years ago and we didn't have these kinds of conversations um now the conversations are having they're happening across the world so you know the uk happening Canada happening, the U.S. happening, the Swiss are reporting. I mean, so it is it is evolving. I think the snowball is rolling downhill. And so I think the future, I think we're moving to a space where this is going to be part of, of guidelines, um, supporting and not, again, ripping breasts from babies' mouths and being in a space of, of harm reduction, optimization of outcomes, um, and I think thinking about how to make things easier, um, you know, some of what we, we talked about is how do we reliably assure a detectable. And so I think even as we talk about medications and things, making, how do we get to easier? Is it monoclonal antibodies for babies that they can be on, whatever? Is it the injectables for mom? How do we make it easier to support people in the decisions to, to breastfeed that are, again, not wrong. Um, how do we do that? So I think that's where we're headed. I, I, I'm being very intentional in my efforts to do that and advocating for that. Um, so yeah, that's that's my hope. And the, these kinds of conversations are so critical because they're not just, you're not just somebody with HIV who chose it. You're a person, a full person. Um, with a whole history and a whole reason why you wanted to do it and a whole positive intention. I think we've got to get out of that. Just like we had to stop saying, you know, UAIs or unprotected anal intercourse. Like we have to get the people married to the stories to then start to really tell the stories. And we've got to listen. We have got to listen. Um, so I, I, that's where I hope we're headed. That's where I think we're headed. Um, and I'm, I'm being, again, intentional in being part of that discussion and the movement to get it there. Oh, yes, this is such a wonderful conversation. Um, we are now going to step over and take some questions from the comments. I've been seeing some stuff come in. I'll start with this one. It just came in from Krista. Can you talk also to the benefits to mom and baby about breastfeeding? That's a doctor question. So I can speak to it. Um... I think, you know, Cece, you spoke to some of this already in terms of this, the, the psychological benefits um, for, for, for mom, um, lower rates of, of uh, postpartum depression. Um, you know, I think there are some actual physiologic um, benefits to babies in terms of decreased risk to moms, I should say, decreased risk of breast cancer. We talk about getting back to your, your pre-pregnancy weight. I mean, they're, they're literally 
physiologic effects for mom. For baby, not just nutritional benefits um, in terms of you know weight and weight gain, et cetera, but also um, psychological benefits. Babies are happier and healthier. Um, IQ benefits, it's a couple of points. So if you have to go with formula, and I always say this, I, when a mom has to provide formula or someone has to provide formula, I say, it's only a couple of points below. When you're breastfeeding, it's a couple of points higher, right? So <laughs> the conversation um, switches a little bit. Um, lower rates of air, air infections or other infections um, are probably the, the the biggest ones I can I can think of. I may have missed some. We have some big advocates on there. If Heather was here, she'd add like four more. Um, but those are probably the, the biggest ones I think of from mom and baby side. So a person living with HIV, like that doesn't take away any of those benefits. We just, it's just a small, the minute risk of transmission. That's so interesting because I had no clue. I didn't know, like, I just thought that, you know, people breastfed because they wanted to or because I don't know. I, I just was handed formula in a bottle and made sure, you know, that I gave the baby that. It's like, whoa, like this decreases, you know, mom's chance for some certain types of cancers and it can help my baby and all of this where I thought for me that formula was the best thing ever. So oh, thank you for speaking to that. Um, this question comes from Heather. And it says, can you speak to extended breastfeeding past 12 months in a setting where mom is undetectable and baby is on prophylaxis and doing well? So that's a good question. Um, for, I think I'm, I want to say it's a promise trial. So I, don't, quote, don't quote me if I got the wrong one. Um, and this is, again, different setting, resource limited settings where there is, you know, moms up to 12, 24 months of, I think was the, the duration and the risk of transmission, again, not with just undetectable moms. So all comers, I think was like two point something percent, 2.9%. But again, that's not in undetectable moms. I don't know that I know the answer um, and I can look for this past 12 months in undetectable state. I wanna say that it's, it's exceedingly low still, but I will cut back to you in terms of the day of the actual number. Our recommendation for our babies in our program has been we've been going for six months because we know um, at six months it gets a bit harder to try to, to, to avoid the mixed feeding that can happen. Now, this is all theoretical. Now, you know, mixed feeding and mixed feeding where you're using breast milk and then mixing in floor, formula or other forms of, of, of food can cause more irritation to the lining of the stomach and the, the bowel, particularly in, in parts of the world where there's more diarrheal disease, et cetera, which can potentially increase the risk of acquisition of HIV or transmission of HIV. Again, that's in resource limiting settings and in, in areas where, and in the pre-ART era where moms were not, and people were on, not on antiretroviral treatment. We actually still recommend no mixed feeding, um, but I, we haven't had necessarily ART in the US or resource rich settings to, to look at that. So we do recommend against mixed feeding, but your question is very specific. Um, and I, I could say it's low, but I don't know that I have the data to match it, um, particularly in our setting. And the data you have is in other settings where people breastfeed for years, you know, two to three years in some in some settings. And again, the numbers that I have quoted are about 2.9%, so under three, but again, that's an all mixed, you know, very loads where we're not monitoring as close. It's a good question, um, but I think it's again low. 
Now, I know I had this question the other day. I keep hearing like exclusively breastfeed, exclusively no mixed feeding. Like, what is that? Do I have to breastfeed this child to their five? Like, can I never give this child any other food? What, how does that look? Yeah, and so for the reasons that I mentioned, again, because a lot of the data comes from pre-ART era and in resource limited settings, um, exclusive breastfeeding, again, trying to avoid anything else that may disrupt that lining and create transmission, really exclusive breastfeeding, you could probably get away six months or so. Once you get past that, the likelihood that you're not going to bring something else in gets lower. And so admittedly, um, because of, of that, I get a little less comfortable. So we recommend six months and then you're not a rapid wean, but we tell moms to stock up on that breast milk in the freezer. And then we start to transition that breast milk to the bottle. And then you start to, we get the baby off the breast with sort of transitioning to off. Um, six months is about where we are because we know that people start slipping the baby food. It's not doing, so that's when the control is a little bit less. And so that's why we recommend six months. Some places, again, in research limited settings, they go much longer than that um, with, with rates that are not astronomical in terms of, of transmission. So um, that's what that recommendation for us is based on. That makes a lot of sense because I was trying to figure out how do you do this? I know, you know, younger in my community, we are introducing things like cereal a little earlier than probably what would be recommended <laughs> so that baby needs to go to sleep and stay asleep a little longer okay but I'm not having that I'm not able to do that this time and it's fine um it, I realized that it was something that I definitely felt like I was putting my boxing gloves on a little bit it was something I really wanted to do and that I was in it for the long call my first cutoff was like three months now we're coming up on three months and I'm like ah, I don't want to stop yet then <laughs> you know maybe six months one day I called my mom maybe delusional I was like I'm going a year today that is not where I'm at we may go for six months because this was pretty difficult and not having the I guess the convenience of being able to switch between bottle or formula and breast milk for the days when I'm tired like I realized I probably didn't pump as much as I needed to a couple of days ago so my supply was starting to go down so I was like oh man I stayed at that pump almost all day yesterday trying to get the supply back up and just how much of your life is definitely impacted but if you want it you can definitely go after it and keep putting the good foot forward and trying. At least that is my motivation from this side because I'm in the thick of it. And <laughs> I can tell you that it is not the easiest thing at all times. Um, I am looking back over to see, make sure that we covered everything. Uh, I think we did. I, I really like this statement that you make um, when you refer to being a part of someone else's trauma and you being able to like come back and kind of rectify it now. Thank you so much because then we can, you know, we have this rapport now and you're able to help move our efforts forward towards where we're trying to go. So thank you. No, you're welcome. I, um, if I can ask you something to maybe close I know we're getting ready to close. I'm wondering if you can have the last word and, and maybe talk to some people who may be thinking about how to approach this with their provider. 
what do you suggest that people say? How 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 should they bring this up? Or what have you? I mean, what have you learned, good and bad, in terms of how to introduce this for those who are struggling with getting making that step? Well, I definitely, um, in my experience, everyone is not going to agree with you. Some people are going to make it seem like you're making a really bad decision. The choice is ultimately yours. I like what Dr. Ego said in a previous conversation we had about like us being a team, us working together. Because, you know, I got all big in my chest. You work for me. But looking at it as, you know, we are all a team and finding a team that supports I mean, if you're not able to advocate for yourself in the moment, there are other people, organizations, entities that have people that can advocate on your behalf. I know I was very lucky and fortunate to come across Heather, who she had already been down that road twice. And I wanted to know how I could get how she was. And she helped me. You know, just another sister in this world was able to offer and extend her resources to me and how greatly that has impacted my life so if you're unable to advocate for yourself please reach out to organizations um such as the well project there are so many resources available here you can browse through our website you can read the expert consensus statement sign on you can see so many of the providers who are willing to you know say that this is something that they're interested in or something that they support um there is help out there. Like I said earlier in the conversation, make sure you start early. It's going to be very difficult to try to get all the ends tied at the end of a pregnancy. So try your best to do it early. Make sure that you advocate for yourself. I can't say that enough because there's something that I wish that I would have done during my first pregnancy. Not necessarily when it came to breastfeeding because I may not have done it then either. I was too new, too new. But with all things when it comes to our health care, advocate for yourself. If you have a question, ask it. If you need them to explain it to you a little bit more in depth, ask them to do it. Don't just okay your way out of that doctor's appointment because you may be missing some very, very vital information. Um, and you have so much support. There are support groups out here, women who are breastfeeding or who are interested in breastfeeding while living with HIV we're out here so just look reach out I know I can be a resource I know Heather is one the the well project I'll always and forever um you know say that keep tuning in to these Biba um conversations part of our leadership exchange live We'll be continuing to speak to experts um, on breastfeeding and chest feeding and hopefully just continue to um, let this conversation evolve. I'm so grateful to have you here with us today. I'm so grateful for all of you who have showed up. Thank you for your questions, your participation, and all. Look, this is a great comment to end on. This has been phenomenal. Cece and Dr. Egu's open discussion has fostered further discussions and advocacy for HIV positive women, breast and chest feeding. Yes. Thank you so much. So I'm going to go ahead and end here. Thank you all for attending and have a good day.